Our first reading is from the 33rd chapter of 2 Chronicles. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals and made Asheroth and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol that he had made he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gihon in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah, and he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord, and offered on it sacrifices and peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the asherim and the images before he humbled himself, behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers. 
And they buried him in his house, and Amon, his son, reigned in his place. Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. Amon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But this Amon incurred guilt more and more. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Amon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the first and second chapters of Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. We continue our recitation of the Ten Commandments. What is the Eighth Commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As with all of the commandments, Luther's meaning has a a negative, something you don't do, and a positive, something we as Christians are called to do. First, we don't tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, hurt his reputation. We don't do that. But we are called as Christians to defend our neighbor, Speak well of him, 
explain everything in the kindest way to that neighbor, but especially if that neighbor is an enemy, right? I, <laughs> whenever I teach this to the contramans, I always say, I think this is the commandment that is most easily broken. So often, so many times, in a single day, <laughs> I have to watch myself when I speak with my elders or speak with others. Not to just speak ill of someone, but to give them the, we would say, benefit of the doubt. Put the best construction on everything, right? That phrase, Luther, Luther's one who said that, put the best construction on everything. In other words, defend, give them the benefit of the doubt, speak well of them, explain everything in the kindest way. Hard to do. And as I say to my contramands, I think it's probably the commandment we break the most and don't realize we're breaking it. I mean, if I'm going to murder someone and kill them with a gun, I know I did it. There's video surveillance, okay? But speaking, there's no blood trail. There's no paper trail. The cameras don't see it. It's not like I punch someone. It's words. That's why I think it's the hardest. And I think it might be the hardest also, not just in relation to our neighbor, but also in relation to God. And I don't mean keeping it. I mean, if we break the commandment, yes, of course, we're offending God. No, 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 no. I think God is in this commandment. And what I mean by that is God is also our neighbor. So think of it this way. We tell lies about God. Just change neighbor with God. Betray God. Slander God. Hurt God's reputation. Or are we always defending God, speaking well of God, explaining everything in the kindest way about God to others? How do we speak of God? And you might think that's odd to even think about or to consider. I mean, frankly, I don't think I think about it too much. But it happens. How often do we blame God for something? Or how often do we blame God for not intervening in something? Usually it happens in the worst times of our lives. And I get it. There are times where we lash out at God. There are times where our honesty with God is very brutally honest. And that's okay. It really is. I've had many hard conversations with God over my years. God always wins. (laughs) But... How are we thinking of God, speaking of God? And I say this because what came to mind when I thought about this was Second Peter. Because not everyone has always thought of God well. And not just unbelievers, forget it. They'll always think and speak of Jesus Christ poorly in terrible ways. They're a whole other beast. I'm talking about Christians, Okay. And consider this from 2 Peter 3, where basically the Christians at the day of Peter, they thought God was a slow poke. That Jesus was a slow poke. Almost borderline lazy. And here's why. They didn't think he was coming back fast enough. Here's what 2 Peter 3 says. 
In last days, scoffers will come following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So even in the day of Peter, some people thought God was slow. More, better word is being a slow poke, shuffling his feet along. Come on, get this going, they said. Bring this second coming. Where's this coming you said would come, Jesus? You said you would come back. Where is it? Little do they know, 2,000 years later, we're still there, right? So they called him a slowpoke. They broke the eighth commandment with God. Because what they didn't realize is that God's slowness, and it wasn't, it's not slowness, it's patience. And why? Because God wants everyone to have the chance for repentance. Because on the day he comes back, it's done. There's no more chance for repenting for anyone. He wants everyone to have that chance for repentance. That's not being a slowpoke. That's being long-suffering, right? God is patient to the point of it being painful for him. So because they broke the Eighth Commandment with God, they overlooked this amazing attribute of God. He's not slow. He's patient. Well, in our Old Testament reading today, we also had someone who was slandering God, Manasseh, the king. And as you go through Chronicles, Second Chronicles, you always hear the next king coming, and they immediately say, was he a bad king or a good king? There were very few good ones. More often than not, they were evil. Manasseh went above and beyond. Because consider this. We as Christians, by our very lifestyles, by what we teach, by what we believe about Christ, if we twist that or change that or pervert that, we're slandering who God is. We're denying that what God did on the cross matters. And it's easy for Christians to move away from this. Manasseh did. He began to slowly bring in other religions, to give them value, to give them credence, to even incorporate them into uh, the sanctuary in Jerusalem, bring in idols. I mean, imagine if I brought in a, a Hindu god and set it up on the back table just so we cover all of our bases. Right? There are some people who think that way. Well, that says something about God. Your view of God, doesn't it? If you do that. 
that's what Manasseh did. He began to adopt all the other nations' religions, and as the scriptures say, even worse than how they were when Israel first conquered them. He was that bad. He began to worship Baal and Asherah. These were fertility gods and goddesses. It even says he began to worship the heavenly host, meaning the angels or fallen angels, demons. And maybe worse of worse, there was this little line, you may have read it. He sacrificed his sons, burned them. And this was a true thing that happened. It didn't happen too, too often, uh, but he did. And there were at least two other kings Um, there he is. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Just said it, leapt off of it. Uh, The uh, scriptures speak of it elsewhere. It's to the false god Moloch. This was a, imagine a big metal statue that's hollow inside. They would heat up the metal, the interior of it. And apparently Moloch had these hands or arms that, would also almost lay down above the fire, and they would take infants and lay them inside, burn them alive. And they would bang these drums while that happened so that people wouldn't have to hear the baby screaming, literally as it burned alive. That's what Manasseh did, not just once, twice. And in doing so, he slandered God who never commanded that and even said, do not do this. The practice of the Canaanites, which was the the worshipers of Moloch, is an abomination, God said. Don't adopt it. He slandered God. What's amazing about all of this is not Manasseh's depth of depravity and wickedness and how he slandered God. What's even more amazing is that God called Manasseh to repentance. And Manasseh repented. And he tore down all of these false idols and throughout all of Israel got rid of them. And he set up basically preaching stations throughout Israel where God's word could be spoken. And so that the true name of God and the mercy of our God his long-suffering, that's who he is, that that could be proclaimed again over Israel. This God who Manasseh slandered so badly forgave him. That says so much about our God, doesn't it? And nothing's changed in the roughly 2,500 years, more like 2,700 years, since Manasseh did all of that, the incredible, unbound mercy of our God still being proclaimed throughout all this world, not just in Israel, everywhere. And we see the sacrifice that our God made, not that we made. We don't burn our firstborn sons, no. For us, it was our God who allowed his own son to be sacrificed for us. He did it for us out of mercy, never asking that we do anything in return. (laughs) So often we fight against this. That's the nature of our God. 
who brings repentance to unbelievers, including us, calls us to faith, and forgives us all of our sins undeservedly through that amazing mercy of our God that we see through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of that, this Eighth Commandment should be easy to keep. Maybe not so much in regard to our neighbors, but at least in relation to God. He's done such wonderful things for us. How could we ever say anything against him? Amen. Now may the peace of our God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.